Well, it is great to be with you. It is great to welcome you, whether that is live and in person in the live auditorium or one of our other venues, Classic perhaps, or our Moon Campus, or if you're listening online, wherever you are tuning in, we're glad just for the chance to be one church, many locations, uh, listening in together and processing what God might be saying to us in these days. Before I jump into the message, just one thing I wanted to alert you to. Next week is an important week in our nation. It's important for our church in many respects. And uh, we're actually going to have a prayer time on Monday night. It's going to be a Zoom prayer meeting. And if you regularly get emails from the church, you will automatically get an invitation to that, and you can join with us. If you don't typically get them from the church, then you can let us know either virtually through your virtual connect card or email us or text us or turn it in on your uh, printed Connect card, and we'll make sure that you do get invited. But Monday night at 7, a prayer time. Uh, Certainly it's the night before the election, and there are things relative to that, but so many other things as well to be praying for as a church, for our community, for our church, for schools, just so many things. And we'd invite you to be a part of that if you would like to join with us Monday at 7. Be watching for that invitation in your inbox. So if I were to ask you to rank yourself between 1 and 10, 10 being a lot and 1 being very little, on how emotional you are, what number would you give yourself? Just think about that for a moment. I'm sure that there are some here who would put yourself probably in the the 2 or 3 range, very low, and I'm sure that we also have some 10s. I'm sure that that is the case. Now, the actual truth of the matter is that we're not that far apart. Psychologists will tell us that we all basically experience the same degree of emotions or feelings. If you ranked yourself, though, more as a three than a seven, you probably did so based on the way that you express the feelings that you have which is a very different thing from saying I don't have feelings to saying that I don't really express them all that aggressively or all that visibly. It's a very different thing in the way that we process them and let them out. And there are a number of different factors that can make you more or less inclined to express your feelings. And one of the major ones actually has to do with gender with gender. Men and women typically are thought to express feelings differently. Stereotypically, women tend to express their feelings and men tend to suppress their feelings. I can actually illustrate that with a series of photos that were taken at a wedding. It was the bride and the groom. They had given one another a letter that was to be opened before the ceremony, before they saw one another that day. And they're just on different sides of a, of a door that is open so we can see both of them, but they can't see one another. And you can see their responses as they read their letters. The one the groom wrote the bride and the bride wrote the groom. So here you can see it right as they get started. They're on the different sides of the door and they've just started to read their letters that they've written to one another. And this, they're partway through the letters now in the next one that you can see. 
And you can see the way that their expressions are, are changing or not, as the case might be. And uh, here's right at the end of the letter the way that they are, are experiencing this, right? Now, it looks, like, uh, it looks like the bride is very emotional in what she's expressing. It looks like the groom is reading an excerpt from the want ads, is what it looks like, right? They're processing it apparently very different. It looks like they've got very, very different feelings as they make their way through the letter. But we don't really know that. What we know is how they're expressing that. The woman is obviously being very expressive in her emotions. The groom is obviously not expressing his emotions very clearly, which is something that will probably frustrate her for their whole marriage. And wives, we would appreciate it if you not amen too loudly at this point, okay? So we express things differently. There's no doubt about that. Now, another reason that we express or don't express the feelings that we have has to do with expectations that are on us. Our society actually tells us that there's a certain way that we should or should not respond to the emotions that come up in us. And here again, oftentimes it has to do with gender. For instance, if you see a woman crying just out in public, you might think, oh, well, she's got a tender heart and she's caring and compassionate. And our society tells us if you see a man out crying in public, he's weak or there's something wrong with him. Now, I'm not saying that's right. It's just the way that our society has rolled that out for us. Now, if circumstances change, you're in a different setting, you might process that differently. If you see the same guy crying at a funeral, you might think, oh, well, he's got a sensitive side. But if you see the woman crying in the boardroom at work, she'd probably be considered to be emotional and needy. Again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that these are the... the the societal expectations that have been placed on us, and it gets complicated because you don't know, how should I respond here? How should I express my feeling here? Because it's perceived differently, and the way that people perceive us is very important to us. And so we express ourselves in very different ways along the way. It's important that we would understand this also because feelings tend to rise up in us very quickly. And we can find ourselves responding before we ever really even realize the fact that that feeling took me over. In fact, I can bring, just in a word or two or a little phrase, I can cause feelings to be evoked in you. I might say, the Steelers are undefeated. And it's like, okay, maybe you're happy, maybe you're excited about that, maybe you're not a Steelers fan and you hate that. It's a different feeling that comes up for you. Or I might say, kittens are cute. Yeah, see, we even had some people who expressed themselves how they felt about that. I could say that the next president of the United States is going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And there are different feelings that that brings up, right? I could say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Thank you. Yes, yeah, see, there are feelings. They come up just by a word. And it happens that fast. So it's very important that we would understand this whole idea about what feelings are and where feelings come from. Now, there are times when it's very appropriate for us to actually check our feelings before we just let them out because it might be some sort of sinful expression that is coming out of us in that circumstance. But oftentimes, stuffing our feelings is not the right thing to do. 
In fact, typically, it's best to let them out. If they're inappropriate feelings, experts tell us, you should still at least let them out to the point of admitting them so that you might be able to do something about them. And if they are appropriate feelings, it's also best to let them out because it's in concert with how you're actually experiencing things in the world. But this can get very complicated, especially as it relates to the topic that we're going to be thinking about today. Today we're kicking off a brand new sermon series that we are calling More Than a Feeling. More Than a Feeling. Where we're going to be considering some of the different feelings that inevitably we face in life. There's no way that we could deal with all of them. Experts tell you that there are 30 or more categories of feelings that we go through. We're not going to go through all of those, but some of the key ones that we face. In fact, the year 2020 has perhaps evoked more feelings with greater intensity on a broader range of topics than I can ever really remember in my years of pastoring. But here's where we are, and we're going to get started today with a feeling that I don't really believe that we tend to think all that much about. We are going to be thinking about lament. Lament. I said that this is a complicated topic, and the reason is because we're not really oftentimes sure what we should even do with lament. In fact, you might be sitting there saying, I'm not even completely sure what lament is. So let's just start there with a bit of a definition. Lament, we could say, is this, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. But who wants to hear about my grief or sorrow, right? And so my inclination is to stuff it, to not express it because nobody really wants to hear it anyway. But lament is not a feeling that should be stuffed. It should be expressed. And there is a way that we can do that that is appropriate and also that contributes to my spiritual growth. Lament, I believe, is actually an essential expression of feeling for us as believers in Jesus. And if we don't have the skill of lament, we're actually missing something that God would intend for us. Lament is a major expression that we find in the Bible. Major expression. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations, which is just a collection of lament poems. When you think about the Psalms, you tend to think about the Lord is my shepherd and, and praise the name of the Lord. But you know that actually more than a third of the Psalms are actually lament Psalms? That means more than 50 of the Psalms. That is a lot of lament, to be sure. Now, today I want to take a look at one of those with you. It is Psalm 13, and I would encourage you to find a Bible or your Bible app or something and open it up so that you can see Psalm 13. I think this is a perfect one to consider because it lays out for us the different components of a lament. Every lament has certain actions that we ought to take, and this psalm goes into showing all of those. We can see all of them in this psalm. Three different actions. In the first of those actions, we can see right at the start of the psalm, Psalm 13, beginning in verse 1. Hopefully you found your way there. And uh, here's what it says. The writer says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? The first action of biblical lament is to express. To express. Express how you're feeling. Let it out. You might be surprised to know that that's actually a biblical model. But it's a model that we oftentimes don't follow. And there's a reason. In fact, there are several reasons for why we don't tend to express those things. Let me just show you some of these. For one thing, why we don't express, one is conditioning. We're conditioned that we should keep those sorts of feelings inside. Because lament is emotional and it tends to be very raw, just in the one we've already read. How long, Lord? Are you going to forget me forever? Where are you? Why aren't you paying attention? In another psalm of lament, it says, Lord, shatter the teeth of my enemies. Right? That's, that's kind of cruel, really, when you, when you think about it. Some of them can get kind of raw. There aren't, those aren't the sorts of things that we are supposed to say out loud. Right? We ask people how they're doing all the time, but a lot of times we don't really care. And if people started really telling us how they really feel, we'd probably stop asking. We probably would. Besides, we don't really like to let everybody know how we're feeling either. Why not? Because we've been conditioned. We live in a world where everything is fine. I'm fine. I'm doing great. Everything's wonderful. It's what we've been conditioned to think in the way we've been conditioned to interact. And we take that and now we project that onto our relationship with God as well. It's one of the reasons that we won't express. A second reason we don't express how we're actually feeling even to God is because we're ashamed of those feelings in the first place. We think, if only I was a stronger person or stronger in my faith, I wouldn't have doubts, I wouldn't have questions, I wouldn't have accusations I'd need to bring against God. So the more righteous response then must be to stuff it, to bury those feelings and not let them out. So again, we're conditioned away from expressing. A third reason we don't express how we're feeling is because it admits, or we think it admits, weakness on our part. It forces us to say we don't have all the answers. This is where our pride rises up. And for many of us, we'd rather be stuck in doubt and in fear than rather risk wounding our pride. And so we never let it get to the surface. We don't express it. One more reason we might not express our true feelings to God is because we think it's disrespectful. After all, God is God. That makes Him a pretty major authority figure in my life, and I, and I don't disrespect authority figures. And so it must be the best thing for me to just not take it forward. I'll just deal with it myself so I don't have to express it to God. Now, the problem here is that God doesn't ask for any of that. Quite to the contrary, what God desires of you is that you would express it, that you'd let it out, that you'd tell Him how you're feeling. You see, I can let you in on a little secret here. He already knows. He already knows how you're feeling. He knows what you're thinking. And the last thing that God desires is that you would be living some sort of a, a plastic life that says everything's fine. When everything isn't fine. Because when we do so, we're stunting our ability to grow close to God and to find the answer that we're after in the first place. So he says, what I would long for you to do is to 
express. Suffering in silence is not a virtue. Here's why this is important. As long as you're stuffing what you're thinking and what you're feeling, you're not dealing with it. You're not finding any help from it. Or said another way that might be a little more memorable, if you stuff what you're feeling, you'll never find healing. All right? It's a little silly, but maybe memorable. If you stuff what you're feeling, you'll never find healing. You might find some temporary relief for a little while while you sort of ignore the fact that those things are going on for you, but you're not dealing with them. You're just burying them just a little bit below the surface, which is impacting at the same time the ongoing feeling of doubt that you have, the lack of faith that you're able to actually live up and live out because you know it's always there, and you're also just prompting it or you're just putting it there for some inglorious return of it in the future when something sets it off. So here it comes again. So God invites us to express our lament. Guess what? He doesn't think any less of you when you do so. Did you notice at the beginning of this psalm, the introduction? Who wrote it? David. King David. The guy who God says is a man after my own heart. He's the one who's expressing this. He's the one who's bringing, in his own mind at least, sort of this accusation against God and his inactivity. It didn't set David any further away from God. In fact, it drew him closer as he expressed. Now, we've said that a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Biblical lament is a form of protest saying, God, why? Why are you allowing this? I don't understand. And at the beginning, it's just getting it off our chest. It's just putting in front of God the things that we're thinking anyway and opening ourselves up to it. And there's something in the process of us doing so, even though God already knows, there's something in the process of us letting it out. God, it shouldn't be this way. Now, it might be about some sort of abuse that you've been experiencing from somebody else, some sort of fear that you've come into because of a situation that's going on around you, some sort of a doubt that you have, some sort of uh, lament that you have because of your sin, some kind of anger that you're feeling toward someone else or some situation or some injustice that's around you. You're saying, Lord, this isn't right. It shouldn't be this way. Why is this happening? Because it doesn't seem to jive with the things that I know about you or it doesn't jive with the things that I think you ought to be doing or could be doing in my life. Whatever causes those things to rise up. Lament can most definitely be individual. But lament is also corporate. can also be corporate. In fact, that's what Lamentations is. That's what many of the psalms are. It's the psalmist crying out, or in the case of Lamentations, probably Jeremiah, crying out on behalf of the nation, the nation of Israel, calling out, why are you allowing this to happen to us, or whatever the case might be, and you can look some of those up and you can find your way through them. Sometimes corporate. This is a perfect voice to use for so many of the circumstances that are going on around us today. I wonder, are you discouraged by some of the bickering, some of the strife that you see happening 
all around you, all around us, between candidates and as we move our way toward the election and as people are processing their way through COVID and all the rest. How long, O oh Lord, must this go on? Why are you allowing bitterness and division to be the thing that fills our minds and fills our screens? Why, Lord? It would be a perfectly appropriate thing to say to God, something I have said to God, quite honestly, or what about the racial strife that's around us that seems to be getting worse rather than getting better? Oh Lord, don't you care about justice? Don't you care about people who have all been made in your image being treated just the same and being treated fairly in our world? Or what about the casting off of biblical values? Lord, it's not right that evil men and women should prosper while those who are pursuing righteousness are dismissed and marginalized. Lord, it's not right. Nothing wrong with making those sorts of expressions toward God. Now, lament is not an excuse for a lack of engagement in circumstances and opportunities that we would have to make a difference in the things that, that tick us off, right? This is not, well, I can appease my conscience by taking it to God, and as long as I express it, now I don't have to do anything. No, that's not what this is about at all. Lament is prayer. It's a way to start to get anchored in God, and oftentimes out of that grows the need to go and act. But it's a connection to God. Lament is not complaining to somebody else that you're able to corner about something that's going on. That's not lament. That's being a whiner is what that is. Biblical lament focuses our attention on God when things get difficult and confusing and painful. It keeps us running to God instead of away from Him. You see, some people have walked away from God complaining about Him because they weren't willing to complain to Him. God invites us to bring our complaint, our heart, whatever it is, however raw it might be before Him, and express it, to let it out. There are going to be some things that you're not going to understand. You're going to see that in just, as injustice on God's part or unfairness on His part. That's inevitably going to happen because we can't see as God sees. We can't know as God knows. So He invites us to come into His presence with our questions and our doubts because that's the only place we're ever going to find the answers we desire anyway. So when you feel the Spirit rising up in you, vent your lament. Vent your lament. First action of lament is to express, to let it out to express. Second is to request. Express, request. Every lament varies a little bit, but a key feature is some sort of request that's being made of God. In our passage, look at verse 3. Beginning of verse 3, it says, David says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. The first of David's requests was that God would respond to him, here that we just read a moment ago. Back in verse 1, what is David saying? David's saying, Lord, where are you? How long is this going to go on? How long are you going to forget me? And here he says, answer me. Look on me respond. Give me an answer. That's his request. Then in verse 3, there's another one. David requests light for his eyes. 
That probably doesn't mean he's looking for any better physical vision. In the Scriptures, when it talks about giving light to our eyes, it can also mean encourage me, lift me up, lead me toward victory, help me out in the circumstance that I'm in, which would be perfectly appropriate here because in verse 4, he's talking about his enemies rising up. He's concerned about them. And there's one thing in particular that he is concerned about. One thing in particular. If you've ever played sports, you know that it's horrible to lose. But there's something even worse than that. And that's when the team or the person that just beat you gloats about it. Oh, you hate that when it happens. When I was in college, I played on the baseball team, and this was in Chicago, and you're not playing baseball in March and April in Chicago, and so we went on some spring training games, and we went down to Louisiana and to Texas to play there. And I don't know who scheduled these games against the certain teams we played, but whoever it was needs to be fired because they put us against some teams that were definitely out of our league. I mean, this is like uh, 1A competition. We were not a 1A school at all. And so they beat us soundly, really bad, that first game. And what was worse is they gloated about it. They said, you have no reason, no right to play against us. You're not, you should just get, you should just uh, get lost, you should get back in your Winnebago and go home. And it was particularly harmful because they were gloating, but also because it was true. They were much better than we were, and we had arrived in a Winnebago. <laughs> that is true. Our whole team, that was our transportation to get down to Louisiana. It was our sleeping accommodations while we were there, all 15 of us in the same Winnebago. It was not a pretty sight. And so these people were, this team was gloating, probably with absolute reason, but it was no fun. And David would say the same thing. It's no fun for him either. He doesn't want his enemies to gloat over him or to rejoice in defeating him. Now, I don't think that this is David just trying to protect his own ego. Because David and the people of Israel, they were God's chosen people. And so anything that happened to them, David believes, that's a reflection on you, God. And I don't want that embarrassment to come on you, so defeat my enemy for your sake, not just for mine. So David makes his request. Lament always does make a request. It's not where it starts. It starts with just expressing, this is my heart. And now, Lord, this is what I would like to have happen. This is my request of you. Lament takes action. It will express. It will request. And there's one more action, and that is that it will trust. Trust. This is one of the most beautiful things about lament. It's not just complaining to God or complaining about God. It's an expression of trust in God. It's beautiful. I love it. After David wonders before God whether or not he's been forgotten forever, after he asks God for his favor, this is what David expresses in verse 5. Verse 5. It says, but I, what's the word? Trust. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Goes on. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is David's declaration of God's sovereignty. He says, Lord, here's what I desire, but I want to act in keeping with your purposes. And I know that I can't see all that you see. And I know that I don't or can't understand everything that you understand. And because of that, here's my request. This is what I'm feeling. Here's my request. But I'm going to trust in you. I know I can't see perfectly, so I'm going to trust in you, he says. Now, to some that might sound like blind faith. And yes, it is faith, but it's anything but blind. And here's why. Because what he is saying is that I'm putting my trust in you, and I know I can trust in you because of the things that you've done, because of the way that you've demonstrated your goodness and your faithfulness again and again and again. Look at it in verse 5. Let me show it to you. It says he's trusting in God's unfailing love. That's, he's saying, I see what you've done which gives me reason to trust. He says, I'm rejoicing in your salvation. He's recounting the way that God has proven himself in the past, and that's enough to cause us to rest as we await his additional deliverance, regardless of how long that might happen to take. Then in verse 6, he says, I can praise you. Why can he praise you? Because the Lord has been good to him, it says. You know, there's a declaration that we find in the Scriptures that's very fitting in this regard. Here's how it goes. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What is that? That's a demonstration of God's faithfulness that he can be trusted in because he has provided again and again and again. Guess where that declaration comes? Right in the book of Lamentations. Right in the middle of lament. And if you read your way through Lamentations, you'll see that Jeremiah, probably the author, has expressed himself to God again and again. He's made a request of God, and he also expresses his trust. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's going on here. So, how about giving it a try? I'm pretty sure there's something going on in your life that's got you charged up a little bit. And in this particular year, if there's not, there probably should be something that has you charged up a little bit. And remember, you're not doing yourself or God any favors by pretending it's not there. It's not more polite to bury it than it is to bring it to Him. In fact, it's more harmful. Again, we're not talking about spewing opinions that we have of our own to other people, whoever we can get to listen. No, this is prayer to God. This is being willing to be raw. Say, this is where I am, and I'm going to bring it to you, Lord.
So the next time you feel charged up about something, that might be right now. There's something just churning in you. It might be between now and election day. It might be election night or some other time. Let it out. Let God know what you are feeling. How do you do that? We've said it. Express. Express what's going on. Just let it out. Tell God, this is how I'm feeling. Why are you allowing this? Why is this happening? Why did you let that person in? Why is this going on? You express, then you request, God, here is what I would long for you to do. And you do so as best you can in keeping with what you understand would be according to the will and the Word of God. Don't go praying things and making requests that are completely outside of His will. It's a waste of time. And then, trust. Put your trust in God because you know that He can act in the present and the future and will act in the present and the future according to the goodness that we've seen of Him in the past. Express, request, trust. Say it with me. Express, request, trust. One more time. Express, request, trust. Biblical lament is something that the church typically has not done very well. And as a result, we've been living in an environment where we feel this need to bury, to stuff feelings, things that we're thinking. We might even be thinking, I'm protecting God by doing this because I'm not bringing an accusation against Him. What you are doing is you're putting up a barrier, a wall, because you're not able to be honest with God in your own mind. Even when He already knows it, there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. So I would encourage you to practice the language of lament. Whatever it is that's going on or that rises up, why, Lord? Why do you allow evil to overcome good? Why do you allow this? whatever it is that has you charged up? Tell him what you would long for him to do. Make your request before him. And let him know that you trust his sovereignty. That he will act according to that which is best. And in the process, you're going to find a release for your soul that is going to be healing. And that is going to set you up for an intimacy with God that you've never experienced before. And interestingly enough, it comes through Lament of all things. Over a third of the Psalms, a whole book in the Old Testament, and you can point to lots of places in other incidental sections where we see it as well. It's the language of the Bible. It should be the language of our soul as well. And I'd encourage you to enter in. Our Heavenly Father, Forgive us for 
times thinking that we're doing you favors by being silent. Forgive us for times, seasons, years that we've separated ourselves from you because we didn't feel that we could come to you. Lord, we thank you for your love that it abounds more and more and more. That we see an example of in David that you consider him a man after your own heart, a man who brings lament again and again. Lord, help us to understand the the healing nature of lament, the honesty of lament. Father, we do thank you for the fact that we don't need to get stuck in our doubt, in our fears, in our worries, but that we have you that we can rest in and that we can trust. So, Lord, in these days, in this year that has been so lament-worthy, pray that you would help us to process this appropriately so that we might walk more closely with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.